All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service. This is your first time. My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here and glad that you could join us today. Uh, just know we normally do not have this backdrop to play back here. Uh, we share this building with the school, obviously, and so sometimes they'll have a production. So this is not part of the sermon series decoration at all. It is just sometimes we happen to have a, a play in the, in the same building, and so that's why we're decorated differently. Hope you could join us for our baptism service next Sunday. Uh, we look forward to that. And again, if you are someone at our church that desires to be baptized or even want to know more information about uh, what it means to be baptized, uh, we would be doing sign-ups, and we have a class on baptism that we plan to do after that first baptism service. So again, we hope you can join us and stick around to service after Sunday for that. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, we'll go straight into our passage today. Or if you have your programs, the, the passage is there. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 24. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5, or your apps, or the program, which is right there with, in front of you. And so this is uh, the Apostle Paul. He is writing to the churches in Galatia. And if you're there with me, we'll be starting from verse 13, and we'll be reading all the way down to verse 24. Uh, if you grew up in the church, this verse or this passage might seem familiar to you. And so if you're there with me, let me read this out loud for us. Starting in verse 13. Paul writes, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the reading of God's word. Have you ever been to a zoo or an animal exhibit and you notice that while the animals, they seem quite healthy, something seems off about them? I remember one time when I was younger, I went to a zoo and they happened to have a polar bear exhibit. I'll never forget when I saw that polar bear, he was just pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was strange. I was thinking, why is this polar bear doing this? Because the polar bear at first sight, it had everything it needed. It had food, it had water, it had a pool, it had shelter, it, had, it was cold in there just like a polar bear once. In fact, it was probably much safer here than it was in the Arctic because you guys know global warming and the ice caps are melting and polar bears are starving. So it's in this place of refuge. And so when I was looking at this polar bear, I was like, what's going on? Like, why is it just pacing back and forth? Something seemed off. Something feels, uh, seemed weird about it. And what I saw back when I was a child is actually something that's not quite, that's not uh, uncommon. It's actually very common in the zoo. There's a term for this. They call it zoocosis. Zoocosis. Zoocosis, it is when animals are driven to psychosis from being in captivity. 
When animals are in captivity for long and it's a large animal, it's a complex animal, what happens is, is that even though they have everything they need, they need to cope with their anxiety of being caged up. They need to cope with their depression. And so they'll just pace back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now, despite the zookeepers, I'm sure they did their best to recreate the natural habitat of this animal. You will see this just all across the world, just animals struggling with zoocosis. Because no matter how much the zookeepers try to modify the animal's habitat, you cannot, you cannot deal with the animal's anxiousness or depression being caged like that. And so, so the result is when you and I go to zoos and we visit these animals, they're going to look like on the surface they have everything they need, but in reality we could tell something's not right. Something is off with these animals. Now, we are not caged like zoo animals, and most of us do not pace back and forth to deal with things. And yet, for some reason, I cannot help but think that all of us here, we do suffer from a kind of zoocosis. Because we seem to have everything that we need. We all have food. We all have shelter. We have safety. We have technology. We live in the affluent United States of America. Most of us live in safe Orange County bubble. And yet... Something's not right. Something seems off. No matter how much we attempt to modify our situation, we still struggle with anxiety. We still struggle with depression. And it's, it's confusing because the more affluent a country is, the more we tend to struggle with anxiousness. The more we struggle with depression. What's going on? How do we make sense of this? Why is it that everything that's, it seems so good on the surface, and yet we could tell something's not right? Something's not right about ourselves. That's why we're going through the sermon series. The sermon series that we're going through is called Form because we are saying that all of us, we are being formed in a certain way that you can't see with the human eye, and it's either making us more human or less human. I showed this chart in the very beginning of our series, but all of us, we're going to be either unintentionally formed, where we are uh, in an environment, and what's happening is there's different things that are causing us to be formed, and all you have to do is wake up tomorrow and you will be formed in this unintentional way because there are stories that come out. We believe in these stories that take place, and these stories are often filled with some truths but some lies, and it leads us to this path of deformation. And the reason why, as Christians, we believe this takes place is because we believe we have an enemy called the devil. We believe the devil, he attacks us not by possessing us or scaring us, but he attacks us primarily through lies. These lies are customized for you, These lies are very believable. A lot of it's true. And the ultimate goal is to lead you away from God. But in contrast to this unintentional formation, we as Christians, we want to strive to be intentionally formed. Intentional formation. Where we battle against the devil by battling against uh, lies by believing in truth. And in order for that to happen, we need to learn and we need to grow. We need to be taught by the power of the Spirit. And so that's kind of the, 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 the whole premise of this whole series. Now here's the question, though. Why are we so vulnerable to the, to the devil's lies? Why are we so vulnerable to lies at all? I mean, if you recognize something as a lie, why do we tend to believe it? I mean, for example, we all know that gossiping, it's not good, right? It's not good to talk smack about somebody behind their back. And yet, it's so fun. Isn't it sometimes so fun? Can't you not help but just talk smack about that annoying coworker? And yet, we know it's wrong. Why, do we, why are we prone to that? Or why, do, why are couples unfaithful to each other? I don't know a single couple who would say before they got married, it's okay to, to be unfaithful if things are bad. Nobody would say that. And yet, at the moment of time, when it comes, 
Even though we know it's wrong, we can't help but be unfaithful. What's going on? As Christians, the argument is it's not just because the devil speaks lies to us, but the devil, he speaks lies that appeal to the disordered desires of our hearts. We believe, as we've been going through the series, that there are three enemies of the soul. There is the devil, there is the flesh, and there is the world. The devil tells us lies, speaks it into our disordered desires, the flesh, and this is all normalized in society, the world. Now, the past two weeks, we, we looked at the first enemy of the soul, the devil, and we did a whole examination upon that. If you guys want to follow up on that, just know we have a podcast where we post all of our, our sermons. But today, today we are going to look at the second enemy of the soul, the flesh. While the devil is the most mocked and kind of dismissed enemy of the soul, I would say the flesh is the most confusing and the most uh, neglected enemy of the soul. Um, and it's, it, it's not good that we do this, because here's why. In the New Testament, when you read it, there is this constant mentioning of the flesh. You can't go through the New Testament without recognizing there's this category that the New Testament writers keep talking about, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. And no passage does that more deeply than the passage we just read today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 24. The Apostle Paul, he does a deep dive on this topic, the flesh. So what we're going to do is, starting today, we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about the flesh, understanding what it is. And today, we're going to start in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to answer three questions. Three questions. Question number one, what is the flesh? What do Christians mean when they talk about the flesh? Number two, why do we struggle with the flesh? Why is this a struggle? And number three, how do we battle against the flesh? And of course, we'll continue that uh, into next week. So what is the flesh? Why do we struggle with the flesh? How do we battle the flesh? So first, what is the flesh? So a little bit of context, okay? Uh, the reason why Paul is writing this whole letter to the Galatians is because these are multiple churches in the region called Galatia. And the way these churches started was the Apostle Paul, he went on a mission trip, preached the gospel, People believed in the gospel. The Holy Spirit came down and demonstrated itself powerfully, and new churches just started arising. And then Paul left, and later on, Paul hears that there's a group of people who came into these churches called the Judaizers. And this group of people, they heard from these Christians, oh, you guys live by the Spirit? That's not enough. If you want to be a true Christian, make sure you follow the law. Follow the Mosaic law. And so when Paul hears this, he writes this letter to the Galatians, and he goes, no, no, no. The law is this external thing that's there that's impossible to keep. It will not give you life. And so for all all four chapters, Galatians chapter 1 to 4, Paul tells the Galatian churches, if you want to be alive, if you want to be living for Jesus, it cannot be through following the law. It cannot be through temple ceremonies getting circumcised. But you must live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Now, here's the problem with that, okay? If you only need the Spirit and you don't need to follow the law, that's not what makes you right with God, can't you live any way you want? Isn't anything you do now permissible? And Paul goes, no, you have to watch out for something though. There is something you have to watch out for. Uh, This reminds me of the TV show, The Walking Dead. If you guys watch that show, just know, spoiler alerts ahead, I'm going to ruin season one and season two for you, but if you already watched the seasons, no problem. If you haven't watched it, you're already too late anyways, but season one, season two, Walking Dead. Uh, So the basic premise is, obviously, it's like zombies and and so forth, Uh, but the way, how do the zombies appear? Uh, The zombies appear because someone got infected, or we don't know exactly how, but people got infected with a zombie virus, and the way that people understood it was, uh, if you get bit by a zombie, you will get infected. So don't get bit. Don't get scratched, and you are good. That was the whole premise of season one. 
But in season two, it was interesting where we found out in season two that you did not, it did not matter if you got bit or not by a zombie. Everybody had the zombie pathogen. Everyone's infected. You all must be careful. You're all, in other words, there's a zombiness in you. You have to be careful about this. Doesn't matter if you're bit or not, you are all infected with the virus. Paul is basically saying the same thing. Doesn't matter if you believe in the gospel, doesn't matter if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You also need to watch out for something. There is something inside of us that has infected us, and he calls it the flesh. Verse 13, look again what Paul says. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Verse 16, do not gratify the desires of the flesh. There is something in you you have to watch out for. It's called the flesh. Now again, Paul uses the language all the time. New Testament writers use the language all the time. Flesh, 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 what does this mean? At its most basic level, the Greek word is sarks, and it refers to the physical body. And this is why a lot of ancient religions, they actually understood that the body, this is a bad thing. Whatever your body craves is probably bad. The soul is a good thing. Let's escape from the body. That's Gnosticism. It's an ancient religion. So if you desire, that's why sex was seen as bad a lot of times. That's a physical craving. Deny yourself and so forth. Now, Christians, we were unique in the first century where we believe, unlike the ancient religions, no, no, no. Soul is good and body is good. Both are actually good. And so what, what do Christians mean when they say watch out for the flesh? What the flesh actually for the Christian means is it is the part of our body, the part of our desires, these primal drives that desire self-gratification. We are human beings with different desires. Some are good and some are not good. And the not good desires, the Christian calls the flesh. Watch out for that because you have different desires and you must watch out for the desires that are working against what the Christian calls the spirit. That's why in verse 17, look again, Paul says, for the desires of the flesh, they are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other and they keep you from doing the things you want to do. You have multiple desires, spirit and flesh. They're both present in you. Watch out for the desires of the flesh, the ones that are not good for your soul. Now, this language of flesh and spirit, that is uniquely Christian, but the idea of these multiple desires that are going against each other, that is a universal thing. That is not a Christian thing. Everybody was saying that back in the day. For example, 500 BC, 500 years before Jesus was born, Buddha was talking about that, where the idea of controlling certain desires, it's as hard as taming an elephant, Buddha would say. Make sure you tame that elephant. Plato, he would describe human beings as chariot drivers with two horses and one horse is going crazy. You must make sure you calm down that horse. More modern, Jonathan Haidt, he is a social scientist. He says that part of us as humans, he's not a Christian, we have an animal self that we must tame, that we must watch out for. And of course, Disney, most famously in The Emperor's New Groove, they have this image of somebody where there is the good angel and the bad devil, right? This is actually deeply theological. This is very profoundly theological. There is pretty much recognizing that there are desires in us that exist. Some are good, some are not good. Now, here is the challenge. Here is a challenge that I want to give for us. Never, though, even though this is something historically we've all recognized, never has there been a time where it's been more confusing to categorize desires as fleshly or as bad. 
I'm going to be a little nerdy, okay? I had a whole, like, page about this, but I'm going to reduce it to two minutes. So if you don't mind me, I'm going to put on my nerd cap for just two minutes. Bear with me, okay? In the ancient world, everybody, this was without, this is just a given. Everybody understood that we had a bunch of different desires, and there's a hierarchy to those desires. Some are good, and some are not good. That was just a given. And the human problem is that our desires are disordered. We have messed up priorities when it comes to our desires. For example, it's okay to love your job. It's okay to love your career. But if you love your job or your career more than your family, more than your son, that is an example of disordered loves. And you will reap the problems for you and your son. You're going to experience problems there because you have disordered loves. That's kind of how the ancient world thought. Now today, today we don't think that way. Ever since the Enlightenment, we removed all external authority where, hey, nobody tells me what to think or how to feel. And especially in the early 20th century when Freud came into the picture, Freud argued that, hey, every desire you have, it's actually repressed. You need to unleash that. You need to make sure that you actually give dignity to those desires that are there. That leads to happiness, to repress, leads to neurosis. And that's why today we follow these mantras in life as givens. Follow your heart. If you want to be happy, just follow your heart. If you want to be happy, be true to yourself. That's the goal of happiness. Or, of course, the most modern way to say it, there's no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I'm free. Nerd hat off. Okay? That's kind of the situation that we are in. Be true to yourself. It's challenging to have even this category of the flesh. Now, here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. But are there desires that are better than others? Are there, is there actually a hierarchy of desires that are there? Is it okay to follow that mantra of be true to your heart, be true to yourself? Does that lead to happiness? And here's the problem that a lot of people push back against the modern West. When you say follow your heart, which heart? Which heart am I supposed to follow? Because you have a lot of different desires that you have. When you say be true to yourself, which self? You desire a lot of things, and it's hard to have both of them at the same time. So for example, I really want to lose weight, and I want to wear slim-fitted shirts. I want to wear slim-fitted shirts, but I really want that second slice of cake. Hmm, what do you do? Which one's my true self? Or I want to save up money and pay off my loans quickly, but I also want those shoes, and they're on sale. Hmm, which one's your true self? I want to honor women, I want to stand for equality, but I also want to objectify women, and I want to watch pornography. What do you do? You see, it's in those moments that both of these desires, they feel equally valid, and yet they're also mutually exclusive. You can't have your cake and eat it too. What do you do with that? And yet this is the problem of human nature. This is the human problem. How do you discern the difference? Which desire should I follow? Which one should I not? Which one's the flesh, and which one is the spirit? I like what John Mark Comer says, where he says, you know, how you, you know what the key is to discerning? Even if, whether you're a Christian or not, you know how you know which ones are fleshly desires and which ones are not? I love this quote that he says. We have to realize that our strongest desires, they are not actually our deepest desires. The strongest desires that you have, they tend to rise to the top. Those tend to be the fleshly desires that you have. But more often than not, they are not the deepest, truest desires of your heart. 
And the reason why we don't recognize our deep desires is because they are sabotaged often by these stronger desires that we just can't help but feel, the flesh. And they bury the deep desires that are there, and we just run and take these shortcut desires and just run with that to fill us. So, for example, that you, when you want to slander your, your roommates or slander your coworker, or you want to buy another pair of shoes that you just do not need, or you struggle with overeating, overdrinking, Netflix, in that moment, the reason why we can't help but want to do it is because those tend to be the strongest desire that we feel. But the reason why we feel empty is because they are not the deepest desire of our heart. Notice that's why when Paul says, hey, don't live by the flesh, notice what he says right after that. Does he go, just don't live by the flesh? He actually tells us, instead, do what? Verse 13, through love, serve one another. That seems random. Don't live by the flesh, but serve and love one another. Why does Paul say that? And I can't help but think there is a connection there. And let me give an illustration by that. Um, if, I always imagine if there was somebody on this tribal island who moved to America and had no concept of like institution or government or relationships, and we described to this person, hey, this is what dating is, and this is what marriage is, if that person heard that, they would probably ask, why on earth would anybody want to get married? Dating sounds wonderful. Marriage sounds like slavery. And I understand if that's the appeal. That's why a lot of people, they don't want to get married today. Because I remember when I dated, when my wife and I, when we were dating, I felt free. I felt free in certain ways. You know why? I could live as I want to live. You know, I used to own two cats. I know, it's very strange. I used to own two cats, and I loved it, because I love cats. It was so fun. And my wife, when she was my girlfriend, she'd come over going, oh, cats. I'd be like, too bad. This is who you're dating. <laughs> These are my cats. And that's just kind of the way it was. I could live as I want. I could spend my money any way I, want to, I wanted to. Whatever gadget was out there, whatever was on Amazon, if I want it, I could just buy it. And with, when you're dating somebody, you can leave whenever you want. If my girlfriend and I, we weren't happy with each other, bye. Find someone else. We'll go our separate ways. Our separate ways, all good. But you know, in marriage, you can't do that. In marriage, you cannot live the way you want. That's why I have no cats. The cats are gone. I don't know where they are. They're just gone. There's, I cannot live the way I want to. I cannot spend and buy anything I want to anymore. My wife sees every transaction. She knows what I'm buying. And she constantly reminds me I cannot leave. I cannot leave. Or rather, I remind her, <laughs> you cannot leave. Now, when you hear that, it's like, wait, dating sounds awesome. Well, marriage, man, that sounds like a prison. Why are you all married? Why do you want to get married? And if you ask most married couples, what we'll say is, you know, marriage, it's tough. Marriage is tough, but it's probably, a, it's, it's more of a blessing actually than dating. Dating kind of sucks actually compared to marriage. And here's why. Uh, dating, it would often meet the strongest desires of the heart, which is what? Fun, company, convenience. But marriage would meet the deepest desires of the heart. Acceptance, intimacy, love. And that's why we get married. That's why even though it's sometimes it's easier to date, marriage, there's an appeal to that because even though it, dating it, it reaches the surface level, man, marriage just gets deep. And that's what we want. That's the flesh versus the spirit. And so quick question for us, do you have a category for this in your life? Do you have a category for, hey, I have different desires. They are not mutually equal. They are not on the same level. Some is of the flesh. Some is of the spirit. 
Is that a category to help you navigate through life at all? I remember this past week in our community group, we were sharing, you know, what we normally do, we share about how we're doing in our lives, and one person shared, uh, bless this person's honesty, they're like, you know, to be honest, I did not feel like coming to the community group today. I know that sounds bad, but I did not feel like coming to the community group at all. And I remember as that person was saying that, in my brain, I was like, me neither. And I'm hosting. <laughs> I have no choice but to be here. Like, I did not want to be here. In fact, just know, if you're a part of our church's community group, and you're like, man, I don't feel like going to community group. Nobody feels like going to community group. Who, after a couple of days of work, a long day of work, where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Oh, but today's community group day, yes! I cannot wait to meet with other people, to drive and to share life with them. Who thinks that way? In fact, even church, who goes to church going, oh my gosh, Sunday, yes! I could drive to church on Sunday, I cannot wait. I think a lot of us, we think that way because back in college, when you were like in parachurch ministries, that was the thing, right? I can't wait to GM. I can't wait to general assemblies. It's so exciting. And that's how we think it naturally should feel to follow the Lord. But then when you, it's post-college, it's like, wait, I don't feel that way at all. I guess something's wrong with my church. I guess something's wrong with my faith. Dude, that's normal. That's no, don't apologize for that. Nobody feels like coming to community groups. Nobody feels like gathering together on Sundays. And yet, what often happens is we go, I don't feel like coming, but I'm glad I did. But I'm glad I did. Why? Because on your way to a community group, on your way to your church, there are these surface-level desires that you want to meet, comfort, convenience, physical rest. But deep in your heart, you want something more in your life. Intimacy, love, connection. And that's why people who avoid and go, you know, I'm just going to follow, like, I'm just going to not go. I'm just going to just chill at home. It's nice in the beginning, but after a year or two, you feel pretty empty. You feel pretty disconnected, and you don't know why. Versus those of us, if you keep striving, you keep pushing, you're probably a little bit more tired, and yet you feel for some reason a little bit more full. Because what's going on? There is a desire of the flesh, and there is a desire of the spirit, and they're at constant war with one another. One of them is surface level, one of them is deep. It's our choice. And what happens, though, is that if you're like me, more often than not, it's really difficult to fight against the desires of the flesh. That tends to win more often than not. That's normal. There's a reason why you don't see me wearing slim fit shirts, because I like that second slice of pie. That's just the way I go, right? That's just kind of the temptation. There's a reason why a lot of people are still struggling paying off their loans. There's too many nice shoes out there. Too many good sales. There's a reason why men and women, we still struggle with pornography all the time, despite all the equality talk. We can't help but objectify. So why is this to take place? Why is it that we often listen to the devil and follow our flesh when we should rather listen to the angel on our shoulder? What's going on? This is the second point. Why do we struggle with the flesh? You know what's really interesting is Paul, he tells us, don't just watch out for the flesh, which is in you, but then he describes how the flesh plays out. If you live according to the flesh, this is what your life looks like. And it's very fascinating because if you look at verses 19 and 21, let's look at that list of what the works of the flesh look like, okay? So in verse 19, Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Now, you could do a whole sermon just breaking this down little by little, but I want to do like a general overview when I look at this and I go, hmm, okay, this is the works of the flesh. 
why do people do these things? Like, why do people struggle with this? Why do you choose this life to live this way? And I have to admit, my opinion has shifted radically in the past few years. The way I look at this list as a 20, early 30-year-old is really different versus how I look at this list now. When I was younger, and I think this is still true, when I saw people struggling with the flesh and I look at this list, I used to think, oh, Paul is describing that crazy 20-year-old. You know who I'm talking about, right? That Asian gangster who's just an Asian gangster. And he's just always living by the flesh. You go, oh, the flesh. He's, yeah, he's partying. He's doing drugs. Or that sheltered Christian girl who went to church her whole life, and finally there's college, and there's young adult life, and she just goes crazy. I used to think, oh, the flesh. She's living by the flesh. And that's what I imagined. When I saw this list, I think, oh, this is somebody driven by pleasure, a hedonistic drive to just want to do what you want. So I imagined that 20-year-old going to Vegas, YOLO, and so forth, and I thought of bad people or sheltered Christian who now discovered the world. Lost another one, living by the flesh. Or when I thought of myself living by the flesh, I would imagine it's me abandoning my faith. You know when Tom is going to live by the flesh? If I realize God's not real, the church sucks, I'm going to do what I want. Oh, got to watch out for that because that's living by the flesh. Now, on one hand, this is true. A lot of folks struggle living by the flesh primarily because it's just fun. It's just fun. You just want to have fun. You know, as I got older, I realized this isn't always the case. This isn't the only reason why we live by the flesh. I realized more often people struggle with the works of the flesh not because of hedonistic reasons, but they do it because they need it to cope. It's a coping mechanism. This one theologian, he says it like this, which I appreciate a lot. He says, quote, The flesh, it does not have its theological emphasis in our physical body, This passage is not teaching a Gnostic dualism, spirit good, body bad. This passage is defining flesh as those part of ourselves and the systems they create that exist in rebellion to God and seek to function as coping mechanisms to keep us from depending on God. Did you catch that? To live by the flesh, the reason why it's so hard is these are coping mechanisms to keep us from depending on God. See, when I see this list as I'm older, I go, that's true. I don't think of that 20-year-old going, that's so stupid. Why? They'll learn. They'll learn. Now, when I look at this list, I think of that 30, 40-year-old, and I go, oh, that's sad. That's sad because when you live life long enough and you talk to people deep enough, you learn something. You learn people don't do these things. They don't have sex. They don't get drunk. They don't do drugs. They don't do that because they necessarily want to. They do it because they have to. They do it because they feel like they have to. Russell Brand, if you guys know who he is, he's this outrageous British comedian. And he's very, you know, crude and very smart. Um, But one thing he was known for besides his comedy was he was a drug addict. And he was known to abuse substance. He was very open about abusing drugs and alcohol and so forth. And that was just his life problem. And later on, he was very public about fighting against drug addiction. And he became sober for 10 years. He's still crude, but, you know, the the drug stuff was behind him. And there was an interview that was being done where they were talking to him about a bunch of different things. And the drug question got brought up. And the interviewer asked Russell Brand, "Uh, do you still have a drug problem? Russell Brand, like, looked confused going, drug problem? I, I, I never had a drug problem. And if you was like, what do you mean? It's well documented that you had a major problem with alcohol and drugs. 
And Russell Brand, he responded in a quote that I'll never forget. He said, I never had a drug problem. I had a life problem. I had a problem dealing with the realities of life. Drugs and alcohol, they were never my problem. They were my solution. And when I was younger, I go, I, I probably wouldn't have understood, but now I get it. Now I get it. When you're younger, it's about fun. You do things for fun. But when you get older, and man, I talked about this before, life is brutal. Life is hard. Your parents get sick one day, and that's hard to watch. People pass around you. That's hard to deal with. Your career does not turn out the way you thought it would. How do you manage that? And if the only channels you had before was to have fun, you know what's going to happen? That's going to be your coping mechanism. That's going to be the way you numb the pain. Because you have to, to cope with the brutality of life. And it's not just drinking. It's not just drugs. I love the way Alan Noble puts it, where he just lists, this is what we do. And if you bear with me, this is the way that we struggle, how we cope. Some drink, some take prescription, some take stimulants, some take anti-anxiety meds, some eat, some binge watch friends, some work more, some work out more, some cut themselves, some immerse themselves in the news, some immerse themselves in porn, some play video games, some shop, some sleep, some scroll endlessly through Instagram, some argue online, some obsess about their health, some obsess about the environment, some protest online, some protest to be famous online, some travel, some attempt suicide, some attempt self-improvement, some abuse people, some join extremist movements, some join multi-level marketing programs, some take up yoga, some take up gambling, some participate in extreme sports, some participate in illicit romances, some invest in self-care, some invest in Bitcoin, some discover a new identity, some modify their bodies, some modify their diets, some embrace victimhood, some mock victimhood, but no matter what, self-medicating, this is the norm of our society. Because if we don't medicate, we're not sure that we can get through the day. See, when we think of living by the flesh, Oftentimes, especially if you grew up in the church, you think of bad people or you think of the bad part of yourself. Whereas in reality, the flesh is far deeper. It is the part of you that are looking for everything else besides God to bring you comfort and security and hope. We all need to cope somehow. We all must. And if you don't turn to God, you will turn to the flesh. Things apart from the Lord. And so one question is, what is your coping mechanism? A better question is, what are you dealing with, with in life right now? What's burdening you? And more importantly, how are you coping with that? What are you turning to? Some of you are living by the flesh because your marriage is messed up and nobody knows it. It's a jacked up marriage. So you turn to pornography. You turn to something else rather than God because you can't handle the broken marriage in your life. Some of you are living by the flesh because your career is hazy. You don't know what to do with your life. And so instead of dealing with it, you will binge on Netflix, you will scroll on Instagram rather than turning to the Lord. Some of you are living by the flesh because you experience loss. You're suffering. It's hurting. And so you turn to hobbies to get your mind off of things. You're turning, in other words, to the flesh rather than God. You're living by the flesh. 
because you're self-medicating. And it's easier to do that than to turn to God. It's a lot easier. Now, personally for me, um, I, don't look, I don't struggle living by the flesh in the traditional way, right? I mean, I'm a pastor. I'd get canceled if I went too crazy. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't struggle. That doesn't mean I don't struggle. Um, I, I share this with some people, but I do wrestle with this thing called dysthymia, which is pretty much, if you know what dysthymia is, it's a, it's a mild but long-lasting form of depression. So it's not like you can't function, but it's like this mild depression that's just kind of always underneath your life. And sometimes when life gets crazy, it just, the waves just start crashing. It just starts crashing. And, and I struggled with that actually pretty hard this past week. This past week was just like this weird crash of waves where I just felt pretty down. And in those moments, I find myself really struggling to live in the flesh. You know why? Not because I'm going crazy. I'm not going to Vegas going, woo, that's not what it is. I'm just avoiding God. I'm just avoiding God. You know what I do when I'm in that dark place where this time is just rising and I'm just pretty depressed? I isolate myself. Want to hang out, Tom? Nah. I'm busy. Just on my couch by myself. But I'm busy. I am emotionally distant from the people I have to be around. My family, my staff, people at church. I'll say hi, but I'm just emotionally distant. That's just how I cope. I will consume junk content. Uh, you know what my junk content is? I watch animals like all the time on YouTube, like nature. I'm just like, this is fascinating. I'll just watch it. It does no redeeming value for me whatsoever. It's just junk content. Or this is my, another vice that I have. I'll watch wrestling, like WWF wrestling. Weird, right? Because I used to watch it as a kid. It is just trash. But in those dark moments, I'm just watching. I'm just watching, binge watching. That's when, in those moments, like, hmm, the lustful thoughts that are there, don't fight it, just embrace it. Just embrace it. Now, why am I doing that? Could be I'm an INFJ. I'm a number five on the Enneagram. That's just how I'm wired. And you know, when, when you're an INFJ and a five on the Enneagram, which are like two of the weirdest personality traits, your worst version of yourself, it tends to be you just isolate yourself and you live in your head. That's just kind of the worst version of yourself. Some of you, if you're extroverts, you might, it might be different. That's, you might be the ones going to Vegas. You might be the ones going clubbing or so forth. But introverts, like... It's just this quiet, weird, dark place that you're in. And it looks okay, but it's living by the flesh. That's fleshly living. Because I'm trying to cope with life without God. And here's the problem. If you keep living that way, where it's either for pleasure, you live by the flesh, or self-medication reasons, you find yourself just slowly miserable. You're just not happy with life. Why? Because once again, your strongest desires, they are not your deepest desires. You're living by your strongest desires, you're never tapping into your deepest desires. What do you want? What do you want in life? Like, what do you really want? Those moments are moments to go deep. A lot of us, we want something far deeper than these simple pleasures that are there. You want acceptance, you want love, you want care, you want community. But I think if you actually go deep, 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 deep enough, you want God. You really want God. You want God's love. You want God's peace. You want God's acceptance. And yet this is where enemy number one, the devil, would tell us anything we need to avoid him, attacking this area with lies and our desires. We can't help but just listen. We can't help but just listen. So let me ask you a quick question. How are you living according to the flesh? What's driving you to live by the flesh? Maybe some of you, again, you're the hedonistic type where... Yeah, actually, to be honest, I'm young. I just want to have fun. 
Why is it so dissatisfying? I never met somebody who had fun, and yet when you really talk to them, like when they're butt drunk, and you go, hey, how's life? They go, you know, to be honest, and they get really honest, it's like, wow, they're really sad. It's because your pleasures, again, those are your strongest desires, but you're not living off your deepest desires, and that's why you're sad. Most of us, though, perhaps you're living by the flesh like me. You're self-medicating without knowing it. What are your coping mechanisms, and why are you turning to those things? You know, that whole week that I had where I'm just kind of isolating myself, I'm not happier. I'm probably even more miserable doing that. And yet, the reason why I keep turning to that, it's easier to turn to that than to God. It's easier to turn to this than to God, and yet I end up in the same place over and over again. And so if that's our situation, what do we do? How do we battle against the flesh? And that leads to the last point. What do we do? Everything I described, by the way, so far, it's not that unique. You don't have to be a Christian to agree with those first two points. That's like the human experience. But here's where the Christian part comes in. Whereas every other religion, every other philosophical view, every other self-help book will say, yeah, that's all true, and this is what you do. You make sure that you change your schedule. You make sure that you knuckle up. You try harder. You pull yourself together. You think positively. In other words, use willpower. Use effort to try. And here's the thing. Uh, as a Reformed Christian, we tend to think that will trying is bad, willpower is bad. No, no, willpower is good. In fact, for 90% of your problems, it's because you're not trying properly. You just need to try harder for 90% of your problems. But here's the thing. While willpower works 90% of the times, it does not work for that 10%, which is often the deepest problems you have. Willpower works to devoid that second cookie. Do I eat that second cookie? Oh, I need to pray. No, just, just try. Just try. You, just, you could do it, man. You could avoid that second cookie. But what about your addiction? Does willpower work there? Or what about your fodder wounds and the way it's manifesting? You just need to try hard to get over that? You see, willpower, it does not work with the deepest issues in our lives, which oftentimes that 10% causes the most issues. What you need access to is a greater power, a power beyond you, what the Apostle Paul calls the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says the way that Christians need to fight against the flesh is you need the Holy Spirit in your life. And you don't just need the Holy Spirit in your life, but notice what Paul says in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. And this isn't in the program, but it's later on verse 25. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. It's all these action verbs of the Spirit. Why does Paul say that? I like the way one pastor summarized it. He said, pretty much what Paul is saying is what we need is a lifestyle that welcomes the Spirit into our lives. We need to, in order to walk by the Spirit, we need to create an environment where the presence of the Spirit can come and we could experience his power in our life. You know, when I was a young seminarian, back when I owned two cats, uh, it wasn't just the two cats, but man, our apartment was super janky. My roommate and I, again, we were poor seminarians, so we lived in this janky apartment, super ghetto inside. First day we moved in, there were like these little worms coming out of the carpet. We're like, oh my gosh, but what can you do? <laughs> you can't, you just gotta buy it. And uh, I remember, uh, and we're boys, so you know, boys are just dirty. Um, what's interesting is we wanted people to come over because we were both pastors, and we want to invite like our college group and youth group, but man, who's going to come over to this janky place? So you know what my roommate and I would do? We would clean the house like crazy. The cat's like, get out of here, cats. We just like walk into the room, clean their fur, clean everything, wash everything as best as we could, and that's when we, in other words, we made it a place where we invited people to come. And what happens was they would come, and they actually enjoy their time, and we wanted them to come back, and they'd oh yeah, we'll come back. And it's because we made this place a place of invitation, 
for those who want to come to come and be welcome to experience their presence. And this is what it means to have the Spirit in our lives, to walk with the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, a lifestyle that invites the Spirit into our janky hearts. Our hearts, it is janky. There's a lot of messed up things that are there. But there are things that we could do, whether it be habits, whether it be practices, lifestyle, rhythms, where we are inviting the Spirit, come and dwell within me. And don't just come and dwell so I can experience your presence, but come and stay. And with the Spirit, what he actually wants to do is, I actually don't want to just visit you once a week. I want to stay. I want to renovate this thing if you would invite me to be there. Because it's through the Spirit's presence that you can have access to power that's contrary to the life in the flesh. When you live a life where the Spirit is just, you just welcome the Spirit. I don't know when the Spirit's going to come, but he's just welcomed here. Something's going to change. Something begins to happen in you. That's why notice that the works of the flesh, how different it is versus the fruit of the Spirit. You notice it's not the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Why? The work of the flesh, something you do. You do it, you do it, and all this stuff happens. Well, fruit of the Spirit, it grows in you. The Spirit's doing something in you. Just let him come, and he'll do the rest. If you're injured, you have a broken leg, Willpower, you got to go to a doctor, okay? You can't fix your own leg. You got, that's effort, that's not prayer, that's just effort. Go to the doctor. But once you're there, when the doctor is present with you, let him do the rest. Let him do the rest. Don't worry about what, just let him do it. You just got to be with him. Don't even know what he's doing, just let him be there. Same thing with the spirit. It takes effort to have the spirit into your life, but once the spirit is welcome in there, let him do the rest. Watch what he grows in you. Watch what happens. In fact, he tells us, it's the deepest desires of your heart. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That memorization of fruit of spirit, it's finally paying off. That's what he grows in you. And you can have confidence that he'll grow you in that way. You know why? Because when you see that description of the fruit of spirit, who does that remind you of? Are these just random, moralistic, Jewish lists that he says you should be like? No, replace, add, add a certain word to that list. Jesus is love. Jesus is joy. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is full of self-control. That's the Spirit's role. He wants you to look like Jesus if you let him. He wants you to look like a son of God if you invite him. And so here's a last question for us. Are you creating a life where you can allow that space for the Spirit to come? Are you creating a life where there's room, where the Spirit's like, I am welcomed into your life. I could just sense it. I'm going to be here and I'm going to do something. Is that something that you could describe your life being? If you don't know what that looks like, come back next week. We'll talk about how can we create room for the Spirit that's there. But you've all, a lot of you grew up in the church. You know there's some basic things of how you can manage your life, of how do I invite the Spirit into my life. And so that's one challenge for us is how can we invite the Spirit into our life so that we are not held captive by the flesh. Because again, we don't want to just experience joy that is strong. We want to experience the deepest type of joy, the deepest type of desires that God has planted into our hearts. And so as I invite the praise team to come up, if I can invite us to just respond in a prayer, a reflection. For some of us, the question might be to consider is, what are you coping with? Or what are you using to cope life with? We all have struggles, I know. We all have struggles. What is the coping mechanism that you're using and how's that going? How's that going? Perhaps it's just an honest moment 
to confess before the Lord that, yeah, I've been doing everything to do with life to avoid you, God, to help me cope with things. What is that? Name it. Talk about it with God. And for others of us, maybe we already know what we're doing, and yet it's just so hard to change. Maybe this is the time to invite the Spirit. Spirit, come. Spirit, come. I know we're reformed and we don't talk about you much, but Spirit, would you come into my life? Because we can't do it on our own. We can't do it even just with having a Bible in our hands. We need the Spirit's power to come into our life. And so I invite us just to take a moment to be silent, to be still, and to respond to the Lord in however way the Lord's leading you. And then I'll close us all together in prayer. So let's take a moment to pray, and I'll close us all together.